0: Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4049 of The Bugle. I am live in New York City in the Argo Network studios, where, of course, uh, former American President Dwight D. Eisenhower recorded his novelty 1954 Christmas single, Big D's Dong Along, and it's no Notoriously controversial for the time, B-side Bootylicious, later covered, of course, by Destiny's Child. As I record, there is a slightly alarming photograph of Ike shaking it on the wall, glaring me in the face. Uh, Also, uh, this is uh, more relevantly to the Bugle, and perhaps even more factually, where John Oliver used to record a long-running podcast down a phone line with a British guy in London uh, called Andy Ziltsman. Hang on, I know someone that name. It's me! Small world, small world. I am Andy Zaltzman, and this is The Bugle, the audio publication which, in its ten-year existence, has now outlived the vast majority of the world's ferrets, whose standard five to nine-year lifespan is no match for this show. Uh, Thank you, everyone. I'm not saying all those ferrets had to die to make this podcast live. But I am saying, if I had a choice between doing the bugle for ten years or being a ferret, I would definitely choose the former. (laughs) Testify, brothers and sisters. And I am here in New York, the city that never sleeps and in doing so is uh, doing serious long-term damage to its health. I don't care how many salads and smoothies it forces down to compensate. And joining me from a city where I once inadvertently ate an udder uh, Calcutta in India, it's Anuvab Yes, hello, Andy. I'm sitting here in the New York of
1: the Bay of Bengal, um, <laughs> which, uh, which is a, it's not, not really a, a landmark, but I am in Calcutta. Thank you for having me, um, and I'm happy to report it looks exactly the way you guys left it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not much has changed. We haven't <laughs> repaired a single building um, or a road sign. And uh, and it continues to this day as it was in 1947. Um, so hello, buglers. And hello, Andy. Um, Andy, hello, I have, a, okay. I have a, qu- a quick question. Now, now that uh, Donald Trump, a resident of midtown Manhattan, uh, is yep. in Asia, uh, does Manhattan look any different? Is there a collective sigh of, uh, of relief from the the tri-state region?
0: Well, it's just non-stop partying, and uh, as soon as he gets back, then they just uh, return to normal, just to, so he doesn't notice. But just on the streets, it's like uh, the Rio Carnival, but ten times more so, uh, and with more baloney and hot dogs. Um, so it's uh, very late. It's what one a.m. Uh, is it? Should we call it Calcutta or Kolkata? What do uh, what do the locals call it? Because it's uh, it's a bit confusing.
1: Well, a bit of history here, Andy. Um, job Chana. A a petty trader and a thief, Um, a a British gentleman found himself on the shores of of an unknown Indian port in 1666. He got into a slight altercation with a farmer and uh, he he said to the farmer, who owns this place? What is the name of this place? And the farmer thought that he was being asked, when did he cut the harvest? Uh, Another classic case of British-Indian miscommunication. Um, at which point the farmer said, Calcutta, by which translates to, I cut the harvest yesterday, uh, to which Charnak did that to mean that was the name of the city, and he promptly moved in and took over. Now, how somebody talking about the harvest should immediately lead to invasion, I do not know, Andy. I don't know much about how the empire was built, but it seemed like like a nomenclature confusion Uh, led to the beginning of one of the largest economic invasions in world history.
0: (laughs) We've seldom needed uh, more of an excuse than that. Um, (laughs) uh, On the subject of which, we are recording on Friday the 10th of November. On this day in 1674, the Treaty of Westminster uh, was signed. This was during the Third Anglo-Dutch War. That seems like quite a lot of wars between <laughs> between uh, Britain and, uh, and the Dutch, but this was the third Anglo-Dutch war, and the Netherlands gave New Netherland to Britain. Now, that was a sweet old chunk of North America, including this very studio... Or, or at least, uh, in 1674, the land beneath this studio. New York, of course, was a rather different place then. It had been bought by the uh, Dutch chancellor Peter Minuit, uh, about 50 years before, for about 40 bucks and a bag of spanners, according to, uh, well, let's call it history. And uh, I've now come to claim it back on this historic anniversary. Please, New York, come back to the mothership. We can do each other good. Uh, also, on this day in 1983, Bill Gates... Uh, launched Windows 1.0, launching a new era in home swearing. Uh, People swearing at inanimate objects in their homes has increased by over 99% since the launch of Windows. So that's a historic moment in human language. As always, the section of The Bugle is going straight in the bin. this week, the Country Music Awards uh, section, hot on the heels of my visit to Nashville, Tennessee... Uh, they're holding the annual Country Music uh, Awards. Uh, interesting place, Nashville, incidentally. Um, for those of you who don't know, it was my first time there, and I had not uh, known before I went there. What Nashville has, you wouldn't necessarily expect a city in Tennessee, USA, to have in the year 2017, is a full uh, scale replica of the Parthenon, the famous ancient Greek temple that sits proudly on top of the Acropolis. In Athens, uh, it was built in uh, 1897 for the Nashville Exposition, and uh, it's still there. I mean, it, it's quite fascinating, Annivab. One of these these relics from uh, time gone by. But um, clearly, Nashville sat around in the late 19th century and thought, "Well, we're a growing city. What's what? What do we need? What is going to see us through the next few thousand years? Any ideas? How about a?" F- parthenon why not
1: <laughs> which leads to a, a number of questions Andy. a number of questions americans you know have always had a fascination for antiquity um yeah you know they like picking up stuff you know the senate's called the senate you know they at some point they're going to build a roman circus and you know they're going to have <laughs> republicans versus wild boars and stuff in there um but my my question here is is there anyone in nashville who thinks that this is the real thing
0: <laughs> well i'm not sure i didn't i didn't see many people you know bowing down and worshiping the goddess athena uh, which was disappointing for me because I think uh, she's the goddess of wisdom, and I think America could really do with her right now. Um, also, to add to the the list of classical influences on uh, America, of course, uh, they currently seem to have an emperor who's acting like Nero, so uh, it really goes pretty deep. Uh, big awards at the Country Music Awards, as always. A lot of speculation over who's going to take away the big gongs, including Biggest Hat, Most Hats, Least Original Song, Best Beard-to-Hat Ratio... Uh, Most objectively sinister lyric about a young woman. That is always very hotly contested. Um, And uh, um, least original album as well. So there's some uh, very tightly fought uh, categories. Some of the big stars of country are performing live, including Hinkley Struggins. He'll be singing uh, his hit song, I'll Give My Soul to the Devil, but he ain't getting hold of my truck. And uh, Gray Von Hudge showing the influence of Donald Trump with his uh, recent country chart number one. I'll build my wall around your heart-o because I've seen you looking at Ricardo. (laughs) Um, Anyway, those sections in the bin. Top story this week: Donald Trump in Asia. Now, Anuvab as our Indo-Pacifico Asia Northeast Quarter Sphere correspondent. How is your continent enjoying the visits of Mr. Trump?
1: Well, you know, Andy, he flew over us because that's the only way you can you can get to China. Because he's not going to fly over Russia. Um, <laughs> oh, it just looks bad. I mean, even though it's it's the fastest route, it just doesn't look nice. And, <laughs> Given where we are today. But um, one of the things that's going on in the world, Andy, is that India India loves American presidents, right? He loves American presidents. Um, and and well, he flew over us. And I think he made a flippant comment like, boy, am I flying over India or something very generic like that. <laughs> and we would run that as a headline that said, Donald Trump flying over us, desperate to land. <laughs> Sadly, the winds took him to China. So that's that's how we're looking at this trip. But, Andy, I, I, have, a, I have a question. Um, if, if you remember, a couple of years ago, Donald Trump uh, tweeted very angrily about China. He said they were a yes. currency manipulator and so on. He said they were not nice and that he, you know, he would come down hard on them. But it seems like from the photographs, I'm not, I'm not a very intelligent person, Andy, but it seems in the photographs, <laughs> when he's having champagne with Xi Jinping, that he's not really, I, I don't know if, unless the world has changed, drinking champagne... And laughing is not really coming down hard.
0: (laughs) Uh, Not generally, no. Uh, I mean, he did also say at a rally in May of last year, we cannot continue to allow China to rape our country. And that is what they're doing. It's the greatest theft in the history of the world. Now, you as an Indian and me as a, a British person may, may be able to slightly argue with him on whether it's the greatest theft in the history of the world, but that was a comment that all the delicacy of language and tone, the rigorous, almost fanatical devotion to historical accuracy that so rapidly became Mr Trump's campaign trademark. Sorry, I must stop letting that to strangely secretive Guy Yevgeny write my material. But as you say, it's fair to say that he, he has scaled back on that angry rhetoric, maybe having watched a Chinese army parade and thought, holy shit, these guys have some serious military manpower, and this time they have not made the mistake of making them out of terracotta.
1: Is it safe to say then, are we deep into the presidency to sort of make the, the relatively inaccurate observation that nothing he says really means anything? Um, <laughs> and is yes, that a presidential uh, quality i mean does that need to now go into the annals of a presidential quality you know uh, tenacity rigor uh, uh, forthrightness leadership and your word not meaning anything
0: well i think that would make uh, make a lot of sense actually because if you think about it it's only because people listen to what he says and interpret his words according to what they mean they get angry about them. So if you just assume that they are completely meaningless, then it just becomes almost like a branch of experimental jazz. I mean, not necessarily the kind of jazz that you'd want as your first dance at your wedding, but you know, maybe, maybe you've, you've, you've stumbled upon the great contribution of Donald Trump to global politics. Um, you know, saying completely meaningless words, so meaningless that eventually people will just stop listening and it'll just be noise. I mean, it's kind of the verbal equivalent of the Queen's wave. Maybe this is the future. Also, America complaining about international trade practices of other countries is somewhat reminiscent of the uh, parable uh, by Jesus H. Christ, the uh, alleged messiah and uh, parable star. Uh, The famous parable of the baby-eating crocodile complaining about the mosquito bite. It it seems a little bit rich, uh, given quite how much America has profited from this planet. And Trump said as part of his uh, conciliation. Uh, Who can blame a country for being able to take advantage of another country for the benefit of its citizens? Now, let me just repeat that question, and please try and bear in mind some of the things that Trump has said over the last couple of years. Who can blame a country for being able to take advantage of another country for the benefit of its citizens? Well, I have a few quick answers uh, to that. Uh, Answer A, anyone. Anyone can blame a country for doing that, or at least anyone with a vague sense of social conscience and a global collective good. Anyone who thinks of countries as more than just a base commercial entity, anyone who can measure national success in terms other than how much it swings its economic junk in other countries' faces? Answer B, uh, the people who can blame the country for doing that, are the people of the country being taken advantage of? Historically, they often get a little bit pissed off. Um, uh, Answer C, uh, Tibet. Tibet can, uh, can blame a country for taking advantage of another country for the benefit of its citizens. Maybe uh, Trump might like to mention that to his new buddy, Mr Xi. Um, answer D, international law can, uh, can, take, uh, can blame a country for uh, taking advantage of others. Uh, uh, answer E... America. America can do that. If you recall, 1776 and all that, America seemed to get a bit knocked off with Britain taking advantage of it. In fact, the whole foundation of the country I'm currently sitting in is basically a country blaming someone else for taking advantage of, uh, of, uh, of its citizens. Um, and answer F, Donald Trump. Donald Trump does that all the time, and he basically did it almost immediately afterwards when he started complaining about how unjust the world is to America again. Now, uh, Donald Trump is not uh, going to India as part of his 10-day tour, which is a little bit odd, given that India is, um, well, in, in layman's terms, f-ing massive and increasingly f-ing important in the world. But his daughter, Ivanka, the thinking nepotist's first lady, um, she is going to India, she's going to Hyderabad, Uh, And as a result of this, Hyderabad has taken uh, some action uh, to ensure that Ivanka has a lovely trip, Anuvab. Just explain exactly what they've done.
1: Well, um, what they've done is they've taken a lot of homeless people and they've put them in dormitories. And as you know, uh, in India, there are loads and loads of people on the streets. Some of them are homeless. Some of them are just walking. Um, I don't think the government discriminated. I think they just just looked at the path that Ivanka Trump was going to take from the airport to the hotel and picked up whoever was on it. <laughs> so right now there are some homeless people with much better homes than they could have deserved, and then there are some people just kidnapped. <laughs> so
0: they basically just just cleared beggars
1: they, they, off they the They streets. cleared beggars. I think the goal was to clear beggars. But in India, it's hard to tell, you know, who's a beggar and who's a millionaire, because everybody's just walking on the streets. So <coughs> India looks quite empty now. and. They- <laughs>
0: The the police commissioner in Hyderabad uh, said this extraordinary thing. It has come to my notice through the public that many beggars are begging alms in an indecent manner. Now, I've been to India a few times, and if you need someone else to let you know that there are lots of beggars there, you really are walking around with your eyes shut. And if you are a police commissioner there... Then that, frankly, beggar's belief about how you got your job, uh, as indeed uh, many people in, in in important jobs in India, beggar belief. Uh, so, yes, yeah, several hundred uh, of these uh, alleged uh, beggars and bystanders yes. have been lodged at a, basically a rehab centre at a local jail. Now, a rehab centre, I don't know what exactly what type of rehab centre it is. Um, even criminal rehab, I'm not sure quite how this is going to work in terms of curing people... Of begging, they're going to have, you know, some kind of rehabilitation psychologist or something saying, "Right, you've got a duty to yourself and society to go out there and not have absolutely no money, having been left with basically zero life chances by centuries of entrenched inequality and exploitation." Off you go. Is that going to work to to cure India of of this this uh, obvious social problem?
1: The answer, Andy, is of course yes, of course yes. Because, you know, basically, historically, ec- economics has shown, you know, from the Friedman School of Economics down to Adams. Everybody said the best way to alleviate poverty is to kidnap them, put them in some <laughs> sort of rehabilitation for a problem they don't have, like alcoholism. And then once they get used to these, these new uh, housing situations, make sure that they never leave, creating a further burden on the government. <laughs> Because now they're 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 in housing that they actually quite enjoy and now they're never going to leave. So Ivanka Trump will leave on a Monday morning, but the government of India will just have its jails filled with beggars. And that's the last <laughs> thing you need a convict in Hyderabad to be facing, solicitation <laughs> from beggars. He's already murdered a bunch of people. It's rough for him in prison. And now a bunch of people are begging in there.
0: Well, it's the first rule of social cleansing, out of sight, out of mind. That is beginners level stuff for any politician wanting to put a lovely little glitter tattoo on their tummy to cover a festering, gaping wound.
1: And Andy, you know, you know just to add, Your, your uh, Royal Highness, uh, the Prince of Wales and Lady Camilla Parker Bowles, they were here, they were here. Uh, they were in All New right. Delhi, Andy. They were in New Delhi yesterday um, because His Royal Highness runs a, a big trust, the British Indian Trust. And the yep. thing is, of course, they were going to clear the roads of Delhi of beggars. But uh, but the, I don't know if you've heard, but the Delhi air is so polluted that His Royal Highness couldn't actually see anyone. <laughs> so it wasn't a problem. It wasn't a problem. Nothing had to be cleared because because he couldn't see beyond his hands. Um, so so we well, didn't have well, to do this,
0: this is a significant problem for uh, for Prince Charles because, uh, as widely recorded. His mother, the Queen, uh, now is world record holder for longest ever reign by, uh, by a British monarch. Yes. Um, and uh, so he's been waiting to... Uh, basically, waiting to get his new job for, uh, what, 65 years now. <laughs> and, you know, he's getting on himself now. And basically, uh, on current standards of Delhi Air, spending one day in Delhi knocks about 15 years off your life expectancy, as far as I can make out. Um, according to CNN, breathing is Equivalent to smoking 44 cigarettes a day.
1: That's, just correct, breathing That's in. correct. You see, you see, uh, the problem <laughs> with the world is that you know, you guys have different role models for clean air, right? You guys, uh, you guys right. in the Western world, you look towards the Scandinavian countries for clean air, you you look yep. at their recycling mechanisms, and you say, Oh, look at the air in Norway, look at the air in Greenland, they're, they're so good, look at the air in Iceland. We look uh, at different things, Andy. Uh, we looked at the movie Blade Runner. <laughs> And we said, oh, look, this is this, this dystopian air in a sort of futuristic society where, you know, where there's just garbage and crushed metal. How about that air? You know, so who said progress is only going to be positive? Yeah.
0: But that that's a lot of cigarettes, 44 cigarettes a day. Uh, although I think if you do also smoke 44 cigarettes a day, that cancels out the air pollution. Um <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but I like maths. I respect maths and I fear maths. So I assume double negatives apply to matters of health as they do in uh, basic uh, basic arithmetic. Absolutely correct, um,
1: and the tautology,
0: true, true, yes. true. But apparently the pollution was so bad that it went beyond what the city was able to measure using the t- the pollution measuring instruments at its disposal. Now that's I mean that is that's impressive because. I mean, it's been a long-standing problem in Delhi. So presumably, they got some pretty, pretty high-tech kit that they could turn up to eleven. Um, but now, basically, just breathing is equivalent to eating fifty kilograms of coal three meals a day. Do you know what is being blamed for this for the current pollution?
1: Andy reports say a a wind of some sort from from uh, burning crops or something uh, that's. Right. Uh, That's that's apparently what's causing the haze. I
0: read slow slow winds and slightly colder temperatures uh, have been blamed. But, I mean, that's really blaming... I mean, that's very short-term blame. That's like a young Spiv in a flash car, blaming the fact that he just had a crash uh, on a deer running out suddenly in front of his car rather than the fact that he was driving at 130 miles an hour in an unlicensed Lamborghini without a licence, having never driven before, while swigging from a whiskey bottle uh, in the middle of a zoo. Uh, it's really not blaming the underlying causes.
1: Andy, Andy one of the great things about India uh, is that, is that you know, it's, always, it's always good to look at a temporary solution to a much larger <laughs> screw-up that we've done over the years. Um, if there's a wind blowing over our heads... Why should we blame the fact that we have thousands of trucks that are bellowing out <laughs> thick black smoke for the last 55 years, which have traveled without any sort of pollution regulation due to rampant corruption? Why look at that when you've got a bit of a yellow cloud above your head? You know, it's clear to us that the temporary solution, you know, in India, we have a word for it. it means, it's Jugar, which is just literally means plugging the gaps.
0: <laughs> well, I guess in a country like India, I mean, it's. I think I've said this before when you've been on the Bugle, I've, I've been three or four times to India, and the, pop, the population has more than doubled in 25 or 30 years, and to me the miracle is that it works at all, not that it has all these problems, but that it even functions to the extent that it does, it's a, it's a logistical uh, miracle. Well,
1: I don't know, Andy. I think, you know, like, I think strong measures are being taken. Like for the Delhi crisis, for example. The government immediately stepped in and said, right, we need to do something about this. So they decided that if you, if you own more than one car, if you have a number plate that, uh, that ends in an even number, you can bring out the car one day. If you have a number plate that ends in an odd number, you can bring out the car another day. It's a complicated thing, but it has to do with odd and even in number plates. I know you like mathematics, Andy. Uh, There was only one small glitch in the problem, which is that the air was so (laughs) thick and orange that no one could actually see any number plates. Uh, So people decided to bring out three or four cars at once and see what the hell happens, just to mess with the government. So there you go, Andy. You know, we've got all the right things in place. Um, You've also got all the right people breaking the rules. So so it allows for a thriving democracy. So I I really don't know where the complaints are. The latest uh, fashion trend in Delhi is a lot of people dressing up like the Batman villain Bane. Um, <laughs> that seems to that be very popular in the malls, you know, getting that mask going, um, getting that outfit going. And, uh, you know, the Bane look is 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 the winter party look for Delhi.
0: So, as I said, we are recording on Friday the, the 10th. I did my the final show of my US tour in uh, Washington, D.C. on the 8th. Wednesday the 8th and uh, thanks to everyone um who has come to see my shows here in uh, North America on, on this tour it's, uh, it's been uh, hugely enjoyable for me and thanks uh, it's been great to see so many bugle fans out there um and well i mean apart from bugle fans i think yeah, i could have done the entire tour in uh, one gig in a lift um but uh, the 8th was the 1 year anniversary of the election i was in washington dc um the you know the obviously the home of a uh, of American uh, politics. But it was also the one-year anniversary of um, the demonetisation uh, foisted upon the Indian people by uh, Narendra Modi uh, last last November, when he basically took out, was it about 80% of all functioning currency was just made instantly illegal?
1: 80% of the currency, Andy, made illegal. And a year down the line, Apparently, the, the analysis after a lot of study is that it wasn't perhaps a very good idea.
0: Um, <laughs> See, I think you, you, you did your first ever show on The Bugle, I think, the week after that happened, didn't you? And I think, I think you said that, something very similar at the time, that it wasn't a very good idea. And it's interesting that history seems to be backing you up on that.
1: Well, you know, I'd like to quote uh, the comedian Andy Zaltzman. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, when he <laughs> talked about the subprime mortgage crisis. Um, and he had said um and, and I quote that uh, if you give money to people who can't pay it back, you won't know unless you actually try it unless you yeah, give some... money to people who can't pay it back and then they don't pay it back. <laughs> you have to go through that process like i think and yeah. you had you had you had i think i think the parallel you had given us was something to do with slamming your door
0: on your testicles, yeah precisely I mean, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that yeah, you have to you have to know you have to do it before you know for sure if it's definitely gonna hurt. And uh, as I also said, you, you cannot build a global economy on hypothetically painful testicles. A direct quote from J.K. Galbraith. <laughs> and
1: and 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 to take it from testicles to the to the Indian economy, which is a transition <laughs> many have made, um, <laughs> unless you actually take away eighty percent of the people's currency, theoretically. It seems if you take away 80% of people's currency, they would be disappointed, confused and poor. But unless you <laughs> actually do it, Andy, you won't know. Just, just to add that uh, the leader of the opposition, the inheritor of the Gandhi dynasty, if you will, uh, Rahul Gandhi of the Congress Party, uh, basically said that um, B- B- Prime Minister Modi himself single-handedly was responsible for removing 2% of the GDP uh, of an economy. Uh, it seemed like some sort of a, a theft of some custard or something you know he made he made it sound like he 'd taken a chunk of a reasonably appetizing dessert um, and and he wrote this in one of your newspapers, Andy, in the financial times i just I just want your view andy on on whether you thought that that was an I always thought that that paper was very objective you know middle of the road balanced uh, but I think if the leader of the opposition um, the party that hates Narendra Modi, if that guy goes in there and says, Prime Minister Modi, I hate you, I'm not sure how (laughs) balanced that argument was.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess that's the nature of modern media, isn't it? And um, uh, I'm sure uh, the Financial Times will give Modi the right right to reply. It has pink pages, after all, the Financial Times, which uh, pink is, of course, the colour of uh, objectivity uh, in journalism, uh, I think. I think that's why they, why they use it. Uh, but has I mean, because the idea was that it was to, to 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 stop corruption and money laundering. So has removing almost all of the functioning currency in India cured India of all graft? It has, Andy. It has. It has. I'm
1: glad you. Oh, that's
0: good. Yeah.
1: It has, Andy. And what what happens is that once you've got no money, you can't be corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've gone. They've gone for the all-in game, if you will, you know. Right. Um, If you remember, one of the best quotes from uh, what we we discussed last year was that the Prime Minister had burned down the entire forest in search of two corrupt wolves. Um, (laughs) Yes. And once you do that, Andy, once you remove all currency, you realise that some people are less corrupt (laughs) because they don't actually have any money.
0: Right. Well, that's an interesting interesting way of going about it. I like the term graft. We don't really use it in Britain, but... um... Uh, i I like that as a term for corruption, I prefer it because it gives a sense of the efforts and tedious logistics involved in stealing millions and millions of dollars worth of public money I like that which it it needs to be used graft more in britain
1: yes there 's an art to it in, the, in India Andy. you know we we find corruption uh, scams in in so many various areas you know uh there was a corruption scandal in India involving cow feces um there's been uh, <laughs> corruption scam in India involving mineral water on trains. Uh, there has been wow. corruption scandals in India involving uh, uniforms of railway workers. So once you've, once you've taken corruption to a level where it's an art form, you have to use a word that sounds like art, so we use graft.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I I, I I can't remember if we did this on The Bugle or not. I've done it in, in stand-up. There, there was a, the Uttar Pradesh Elephant Memorial Scam. Yes. Uh, which was like $150 million worth of public money grafted off in a scheme to put up public statues of elephants. I and mean, that's that's genius, isn't it? I mean, it's, the creativity oh, yeah. that's gone into that.
1: It's brilliant, that's, Andy. Uh, because Michelangelo, when he builds in stone, he sees only sculpture. Yeah. But when the UT <laughs> government builds in stone, they see Swiss bank accounts. <laughs>
0: Britain News now, and well, the Festival of Government Resignations 2017 has continued this week. The International Development Minister, Pretty Patel, has quit. Uh, she resigned after <laughs> after going on holiday. Um, which she's allowed to do. And while she was on holiday, holding 14 unofficial meetings with top-level figures in Israel, which it turns out she's not allowed to do, including an unauthorized hookup with Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister. Classic holiday activity. I think she did it because she got a discount, like a two-for-one if you booked a ride on the open-top tourist bus and a meeting with Netanyahu at the same time. Um, I mean, it's... Anuva, this seems an odd way to uh, to go about your holiday. I mean, certainly, I don't know, I don't know what her, what Priti Patel's family situation is. I know when I go on my family holidays, I like to, you know, leave high level trade and diplomatic talks to one side. Um, I mean, that's also one of the reasons why the UN so rarely meets in Ibiza, because the two just don't go very well. Together, The problem for Priti Patel was that, aside from conducting high-level meetings as a government minister without telling any, anyone, which is frowned upon these days, as I said, thank you, Brussels, was that she was then not entirely 100% honest about things afterwards. The classic glass of port to the standard cheese course of ministerial wrongdoing. Now, we've all done things on holiday we slightly regret, um, as I believe the uh, Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, said at the official closing ceremony for the British Empire in 1981. Um, uh, there have been uh, times when we've wanted to do something on holiday but it's been sold out or too expensive or just logistically unworkable and we filled the gap with something else. Maybe that's what happened in this situation. It you know, could have been a simple, oh, no, I've un- underestimated how much time it will take to go round Pompeii. We're staying on the wrong side of Naples and we've got to have pizza for breakfast, lunch and dinner, so uh, Pompeii's off. Never mind. Let's meet the Israeli Prime Minister instead. There we go. We're not having a wasted day. Kids, I'm afraid Santa's Magic Grotto is not on today. It's July and we're in Spain. Stop crying, I know i promised it. But I've got something even better. Come and watch Daddy have clandestine talks with Benjamin Netanyahu. <laughs> This followed the resignation last week of Michael Fallon, the Secretary of State, for defence, defence, DEE Sorry, I've been in America too long. Uh, after he fell below the standards of not being weirdly creepy with women expected of government ministers in the post-Neanderthal age. Boris Johnson, he's also blooped at another bloopster by, by basically shopping a British woman to Iran as a spy, whether or not she is a spy or not. It's, uh, what is happening?! Anyway it's all uh, a bit ridiculous given that what the government <laughs> prides itself on as we know is being strong and stable.
1: Yep. Is this the first time that a british minister has been fired for working too much? <laughs> <laughs> and is quite, it because she's possibly. making her colleagues look bad and is is there some of that going on?
0: Oh that's a that's an interesting angle that i had not i had not considered. maybe, maybe it is that Maybe, uh, I mean, she's making, uh, really doing the job that two people could be doing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it could add to unemployment figures if we have to sack our ambassador to Israel because he's no longer f-ing needed. <laughs> in uh, other more junior minister resignations, the junior minister for benches and public seating, Clavicordia Pertwin-Range, has resigned because she thinks she might do something wrong at some point in the future. Uh, in... Other British news. We've, we have a date, Anuvab. Uh, we are going on a hot date with destiny. The official date for us firing ourselves into our new post-Brexit British orbit is the 29th of March, 2019. That is when it is going to officially happen in... Uh, what's that now? That's, uh, well, just under a year and a half time. The 29th of March, coincidentally, or perhaps not coincidentally, is the anniversary of the Battle of Toton in 1461, during the Wars of the Roses, which sounds like a rather entertaining floristry-based reality TV show in which enthusiastic amateurs tried to make the prettiest bouquet for a guest celebrity's birthday wedding bar mitzvah, funeral apology or court hearing. But in fact the Wars of the Roses was a long-running and rather bloodthirsty civil war, and the Battle of Totem was the single most savage battle ever fought on British soil resulting in a reported 28,000 dead out of around 60 to 70,000 Combatants. That is a high hit rate in a battle fought with 15th-century weaponry. So, and that is the day for us pulling the trigger on Brexit, to the anniversary of a brutal struggle for power in a nation tearing itself apart. What more appropriate day could there be?
1: Your Brexit vote, I think, was was last year actually officially leaving the european union in 2019 um, and i don't know enough about your culture so i'm just curious is this the classic british tactic of letting enough time pass so you don't remember what you did or when you did it
0: <laughs> uh, it does yes it's it's it does sniff slightly of that um I guess. Uh, and I mean, I think pretty much everyone in Britain would like to forget it on both sides, really. As I said before, the, the solution is just to leave, maybe just one day, uh, just leave the European Union for a day on the 29th of March, go back on the 30th. Everyone gets what they want. The uh, remain gets to remain, and the leave get to complain. <laughs> In other uh, major international economics news, the Paradise Papers were leaked this week, uh, which I'd always assumed were my wife's secret diaries about her 21 years spent with me. Uh, it turns out they're not that. There were 13.4 million documents about uh, tax aversion and related issues. Uh, we have uh, talked in greater depth than anticipated ourselves in the case on previous stories, so we will save the Paradise Papers for a future bugle. But don't worry if that's what you've tuned in for. Uh, talk about tax evasion. Uh, you'll get it uh, eventually. Right, that brings us towards the end of uh, of this bugle. Um, just a reminder, the live bugle next Thursday, the 16th of November at the Leicester Square Theatre. Uh, do come along to that. Uh, it features Nish Kumar... Alice Fraser and me uh, talking about everything that's happened in the world between now and then. Uh, A few emails have come in. um, Well, quite a lot of emails on one particular subject. Yes, I am now aware uh, of the giant wooden penis that has appeared in the Austrian Alps. (laughs) Thank you for those uh, approximately 20,000 people who've uh, emailed or tweeted me uh, about that. Um, uh, And this, Anuvab, you might be interested in this. This was uh, in the build-up to the recent... uh, American local elections, which went very badly for for Donald Trump. There was a rather racist election poster in the small town of uh, Edison uh, entitled Make Edison Great Again. And it says, Stop Jerry Shee and Falguni Patel from taking over our school board. And it had uh, pictures of uh, these two candidates for the the local school board. One of whom was born in America, and the other of whom has lived in America for decades. Uh, within a big red box with exclamation marks in big letters, the Chinese and Indians are taking over our town. So far, just basic, classic xenophobic fear mongering. Chinese school exclamation mark, Indian school exclamation mark, and here comes the kicker: cricket fields. Yes. I I read that, Andy,
1: and and more than the entire populations of India and China, I think you were offended (laughs) by the mention of the cricket field.
0: Yes. America, it's the sport you could have had had you been more sensible and open-minded when you had the chance. Luckily, both of those candidates won because the voters of Edderton thought, oh, well, clearly cricket is the greatest thing humanity has ever invented. Let's have more of that in our town. Um, uh, thanks to Matthew Barnes who uh, emailed me about that and ver- various other people as well. And, and this uh, email came in from Alex Hodgson who writes, uh, I learnt in this week's uh, Blue Planet 2, that's a BBC series all about uh, uh, things that live in the sea. Um, I mean, do we really need them anymore in this day and age? Everything's gone Wi-Fi. Uh, that There's an underwater mountain range that runs the whole way around the globe. Basically, the earth has a seam like a cricket ball. Um, given this uh, revelation, writes Alex, why is spacefop Professor Brian Cox still the go-to guy for planetary science rather than the true king of seam and swing, Jimmy Anderson, the record-breaking England uh, swing bowler? Or well, to put it this way, how do you think Anderson would fare given the blue and green cherry in interstellar conditions, <laughs> dry, cold, unlikely to cloud over in the afternoon? And how big a pair of trousers would Alistair Cook need to put uh, a good shine on the Americas? <laughs> so well, that's a very nice cricketing... Uh, Cricketing email, um, very nice to have uh, a second reference to uh, intergalactic cricket within just a couple of weeks uh, on on the bugle. Uh, I, well, I think clearly the, the world does tend to swing in, I think. Uh, if it starts swinging out, if it starts, I think when we get to being too old a planet, we, you know, the swing will reverse. And when we start reverse swinging, that's going to be tricky. We're going to fly away from the sun and uh, smash into Jupiter. So uh, we just want to try and keep that seam uh, as just straight as possible. Um, If you want more uh, cricket stuff, I will be starting the Unbelievable Ashes podcast with ABC Radio in Australia, featuring Tom Wright, ex-Bugle producer, and the very funny Australian comedian Felicity Ward, and uh, Jared Kimber, cricket journalist extraordinaire. Uh, That will begin in a couple of weeks, so do look out for that if you are a Bugle fan and a cricket fan. That uh, is... um, A a niche on the human Venn diagram that um, uh, I think should include at least six billion people, uh, but doesn't. Uh, Anyway, that's it until next week. As I said, next week's Bugle will be live from the Leicester Square Theatre in London. Tickets still available. Do find them online. In the meantime, Anuvab, uh, thanks once again for your wits and wisdom on the Bugle. We will be speaking again soon. uh, And until next time, Buglers, goodbye.
1: Thank you, Andy.